If you are you guys willing to get real? I don't really want to get real because my whole life is a fantasy. Is this a that's test? true? Well, um, actually, if we are being real, uh, you owe me five pounds in expenses because um, like, I sort of went to Weatherspoons because I was coming here to do this recording, so I had to get a Weatherspoon. So <coughs> if you could send if reimburse, you, if you could. If you could reimburse me from the, from I feel I feel sorry pot. for the people outside of the UK who don't know what weather spoons is. Well, I've got a lovely pub lunch uh, on the on the three T well, RPG. Yeah, but we've already spent the Patreon money, so oh, okay. Yeah, so it's out so you pocket, can fuck buddy. off. <laughs> and and just for the record, listeners, we've never spent the Patreon money on pub lunches, and if we have. Well, it was out of weather spoons, and, and well, so it was important. value for money. No, but for, wait, further disclaimer: we've never spent it on anything. We're just sitting happy, mate. Um, you know, we're just like, waiting for the. Apocalypse. We're we save it, we're saving up for a holiday to Barbados. Yes. Apparently, the RPG scene there is fucking great. <laughs> um, speaking of RPGs, uh, this is the Three T RPG podcast. My name is Harrison of Huntingshire, and with me is Sir Sean of Huntingdon. Hello. And of course, we've got James Clark, the court jester. Hi, guys. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking, listener. Where the fuck is. Oh, we're recording in the same room today, by the way, which is great. But I know what you're thinking. Where, where the fuck is Nick? And like, uh, yeah, well, Nick's not here. And there was a fuck up with the last recording because um, <laughs> Nick, obviously, he's been running his game and it's, on, it's an online game. And for, for shits and giggles, he put a robot effect on his voice. He forgot to take the robot effect off, so we've went to. So we're, we're doing this episode again now, uh, but Nick obviously is well. Can we say he's an idiot? Well, uh, we can say he's a robot. So I'll say. Oh, that. We know that. That's yeah. been confirmed. Well, that's confirmed. But a stupid robot. Well, <laughs> Bad programming. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah go on. Yeah. I mean, you said it. I did not. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, for those not present at our usual courtly meetings, this is an RPG show all about tabletop RPGs, and you may now all be seated because today's feast includes feedback. It includes news punch, what you're slaying, and the main subject, which is going to be mega dungeons. Do they suck? And then we're going to do some electro letters. Does that sound good? Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. We're gonna, that's what we'll promise for this show. It's going to be all right. And then if it's good... Which it won't be, then it remains all right. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like my lunch today. Shut up. <laughs> so going on about your lunch, we're not paying for it. It's, you know, it's later than lunch. I mean, it is. Yeah, what time is it? It's fucking twenty past seven. What are you doing eating lunch? Well, I say you my, piece of shit. Well, what I did is I saved my lunch for dinner and then ate lunch at, out. Dinner. So so dinner. so I ate my dinner on the bus. So <laughs> so like sort of inconvenience are so you on have you, couple, have you been that, smoking crack that's a couple of extra quid are you right? smoking it's a, crack it's a couple of extra quid apparently <laughs> <laughs> well because you ate your dinner on the bus yeah it's sort of like you know inconvenience just like that fart that's another 50p thanks Jay. this has got to probably be the worst start to anyone we've ever it done is. but uh, let's do some feedback no James, stop saying no to everything it's like you're a two year old I am a two year old that's true that's true He's very. He's got a very deep voice. Anyway, feedback. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So, um, yeah, the, the, we have a Discord that I've just discovered has been going for three years. 
<laughs> and uh, the Hussman on our Discord, he says, for those of you that received texts from at Harrison, here's a new notification sound courtesy of the most recent episode. And uh, yeah, so obviously I've done a fart and he's cut it out and put it on the Discord server. So, all right, so Chunks Magoo. Um, last episode we did a, a um, episode about uh, evil PCs, how to deal with them, how to run a fun <laughs> evil campaign. <laughs> and uh, Chunks Magoo, he says, I find that having market stalls and busy shopping areas, he's missed off one of the P's, and, and busy shopping areas <laughs> stops this sort of behavior. But that. Having an instant recourse against it is trickier. He, He's another person that's been smoking crack, by the sounds <laughs> of it. There is an indoor market in my town that has existed for 600 years, and it has security, so it's pretty easy to imagine it always has some sort of guard. 600 years? Oh. No, yeah. it's all right in the game. Wait, I did this last time. You did do I this. I got really confused about the... But now the listeners haven't missed out on that great... Banter, <laughs> because I thought it was the, a campaign has been passed down for generation and generation. Wow, six oh. six hundred years. But um, yeah, good point. I mean, Sean, you once ran a game where people fought to the death for a discount on a stick. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you're saying that like it's my fault. Well, I'm just saying that that it had you put security guards in a six hundred year old area maybe we would have ended up in a different position you know what i mean uh, that's a fair point but um people will always just fight anyway i mean so yes but you put security there then they would have been less likely to yeah i suppose and also it's like i i just don't get why pcs hate shopkeepers so much and it's like one of the techniques <laughs> i've i've employed over recent years is like if they just go to some tiny small town it's not really feasible that the shop would have security but i've had it been like like halfway through them bullying the shopkeeper the shopkeeper's just like why are you doing this like, oh, what, yeah. what what's wrong what have i done to you like the thing is it usually it usually diffuses the situation we go oh, oh yeah so, oh yeah sorry. nobody would ever do this <laughs> you go, oh, sorry about that mate and we'll pay we'll pay you for it why can't people just shop normally in in games i, I sort of trust people to do so but now I'm going to have to sort of beef them up like GTA shopkeepers. Well, well, it just doesn't happen because, like, in your campaign, and you're currently running, I mean, we'll get to this, but there's been, well, there's been a lot of... A, a lot, lot of, of crime. A lot of crime in our anti-crime squad. Yeah, and it's a bit weird because, like, I think you just set us up for it because you're explaining the situation and we're meant to be incognito about everything, so we're trying to sneak in there, whereas um, other campaigns and, say, some that Harrison's run is just go... Yeah, we're going to shop, buy stuff. Yeah, but then in this campaign, it's because we're tr- because we're mutant animals. Actually, we'll get to this in a bit. But we've stolen from a lot of shops, yeah. despite being the heroes. We're great. I don't think we've even. I've I've had money and not paid for something I could afford. We have a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that is a good. Uh, that's a good. That's a good way of doing it. If it's really fucking busy, chunks my goo, then uh, yeah, the PC is likely to get caught, and you can just say, "Well, there's hundreds of people around." you're probably going to get caught. Mm. And then they'll probably just say, well, I'll try to sort of like blend in with the crowd and uh, then uh, steal the potion. <laughs> anyway, that is it for feedback. Thank you very much, the Hussman and Chunks Magoo. Uh, let's do some news, shall we? Yes. Oh, yeah, news punch. The headline is this. A fourth TSR appears. 
Good. It's good. Any more on the horizon? Uh, well, it's a couple more since. But anyway, the, you're gonna have to try to try to follow me here, guys, because this is like really fucking complicated. So right. we spoke last episode about the new TSR started by Ernie Gygax and mentioned Ernie's subsequent Twitter breakdowns. This TSR was the third TSR because there was one that came a decade after the original one to produce Gygax magazine. Now, TSR2 rebranded after Ernie's Twitter feuds with his brother and changed their name to Solarian Games. But now, TSR3, the one owned by owned by Gary Gygax's son, has also rebranded to distance themselves from their own public image and are now called Wonderfilled Inc., right? But interestingly, the company's name isn't isn't one, well, but interestingly, on the website, they've misspelled it, so it's Wonderfiled, Inc., <coughs> right? And so they misspelled their own name on their own website, and funnily enough, Ernie Gygax is now trying to say that Wizards of the Coast were responsible for the backlash that he received on Twitter about TSR3. And he did speak publicly about gender politics, which, no matter what your views are, you really shouldn't do it in this uh, day and age when you're trying to run a business. Yep. Um, but he's blaming Wizards of the Coast. He's now saying that it was corporate espionage and that somebody was using his Twitter account against his will. But yeah, um, it's pretty mental. But anyway, the previous PR manager, a bloke called Stefan Deinhardt, um, was supposedly responsible for all of the TSR Twitter accounts, including Ernie Gygax's, and he's now stepped down, as we mentioned in the last episode. So now that TSR 3 has uh, has become Wonderfiled, or Wonderfilled, <laughs> a fourth TSR has emerged. So you see, in addition to TSR 3, Gygax Jr. also ran a shop out of the original office building that once housed the original TSR, this shop, called the Dungeon Hobby Shop Museum, is now owned by TSR4 and is run by our pal Ernie. So this is officially the fourth TSR ever. Oh, man. I kind of wish it was called TSR4. Well, that's what people are referring it to. it Because it's he's got nothing to do with the original TSR from the 70s. Mm. In addition to that, the one thing that Ernie Gygax had was this um, setting called Giant Lands. There was like a previously unpublished setting for D&D back in the 80s, right? He had that, but now all the people that own that, after he went mental, they've left the company and took Giant Lands with them. So the new TSR has nothing to do with the original 80s one, the second one, and technically not the third either. So, wow. But yeah, he claims that that PR guy was operating all the Twitter accounts and actually he's not anti-transgender and actually he loves people and he's a really great guy. But whether or not any of that's true, this has got to be the biggest, stupidest marketing campaign ever. Ernie Gygax sort of dug his own grave, really, by acting like a crazy person in the first place, I think, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, all, all they had to do, all they had to do was go, it's TSR's back we're bringing back a return to form. And loads of people... It wouldn't have been the, the same been as easy. the D&D days. But yeah, it's easy. That's easy fucking money. Yeah. And he's just shat it up the wall. It's easy PR. We're yeah. back. Um, and if you're going to blame it on the PR guy as well, well, you're giving him the orders. So he's... You also gave him access to your Twitter account. It's exactly. like if, it, if I gave my Twitter account, which I don't have, to Hitler, I'm not going to expect good results. <laughs> Because he was, he was notoriously quite, you know... Shit at typing. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the problem. Yeah. So it would just be like... <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So the new TSR, TSR4, hopefully the last in the line of recent TSRs. It won't be. 
It won't. But um, Ernie, I can't wait for the rest, though. Me too. I want to put. We should start on. our own one, man. Yeah. Do you reckon we can just jump the gun and go straight to nine? <laughs> yeah. Just go. We're now TSR nine. I'll change my name to Harrison Gygax. You can be Dave Arneson, and Sean, you'll just be Sean, right? Um. Well, I could be Fat Man in the Shop. No, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just be, I'll just be Sean. It's quite a weird thing to say. Quite, quite a fat. I, I don't know. Um, Unnamed NPC. Well, I'm selling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's um, a, that would be actually a good name for like a ghost writer in the RPG scene, unnamed NPC. But anyway, yeah, so they're probably not going to produce anything good. Only Gygax is a fucking idiot and he squandered a good opportunity that you had there. And uh, there are too many TSRs out there. But nerds team up with Wizards of the Coast for a product nobody was asking for. Now, I know what you're thinking. Nerds already teamed up with Wizards of the Coast ages ago, right? <laughs> but the funny thing about that is, is that it's nerds the candy. They've uh, they teamed up with D and D. Great, oh, wicked, good. What, what are they doing? You're actually excited about this. Are they doing mud? They doing mud flavored nerds or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, they should do um, fucking hero shaped nerds. So they're like massive and and bulky. Yeah, and they you use them as minis, and then when they're done, the DM just leans over the table and bites it. Is oh mate, this is gonna suck. That could it? be real life um, damage. You'd be like, oh yeah, and his head came off. Mm. Or just smash it with a hammer. <laughs> uh, so what's the verdict on nerds? The candy we. Is, uh, are we right. yes? Are we yes? Right. Uh, I'd say yes. Uh, um, although not yes for your teeth, but yes for the Bit overrated. Well, exactly. Uh, so basically, what this is, right, is that when you buy a pack of nerds, they're doing a special promotion, you'll get various codes which will unlock pre-made characters and adventures. So all the adventures are going to be for one player and a DM, right? And you get six of them. And once you've unlocked all six, you get the seventh adventure meant for all six characters once they've leveled up to level three. So then all of the people uh, come together for one big story. But the story revolves around a city called Harmony, where colour is fading away, and it's up to the heroes to revive it. Now, they did release a TV advert as well, and I watched it, right? And um, it's, it? it's easy to say this is clearly for children. Um, it, 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 um, it sounds like they've, they've done a good job on corporate pandering, but it's still corporate pandering, yeah. You, you're going to need to speak up a bit. But that's... I agree, right? And it's like, the advert is fine, but it's a little bit patronising. Like, a little bit patronising. Well, of course it is, because if it's, it's aimed at kids, and going to be like, ooh, yeah, do this. It's literally like, you are a wizard. You spend more time in spell books than you do the battlefield, but a worthy adversary you make against any orc. It's kind of like that. Oh, so someone who watched like five minutes of Lord of the Rings, like a marketing bloke or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I hope it's a good way to get kids into the game. No, it's good for that. It won't be. But it's one thing to bear in mind is that I doubt, A, I doubt any of them will actually play it because you will need to buy dice as well. And if you've got one pound pocket money to go and get a pack of nerds, then you have to buy a set of five pound dice on top of it. Probably yeah. never going to happen. And also, you need to have one GM who everyone can go to because otherwise you're going to have six random people. Right, and if you're new to the game, we all know the GM is usually the person that introduces it to the group, right? Yeah. So if you get the back of nerds and you want to play, yeah. well, you'll shit out of luck, mate. I suppose you you have like your gang and stuff, so you could all pull in and buy like a pack of nerds <laughs> to get, like, you know... <laughs> Well, can you all play one character? Is that how you? Well, I mean, if you want to play it in the traditional sense, that is gonna—that's gonna be what's gonna to have to happen because it'll be you sitting around a table, everyone playing the same character, because usually you have you know a group of five. Nobody plays one-on-one RPGs unless they're 
pretty fucking sad. <laughs> I don't know where that was going, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, nerds, D and D, both good things. Should they mix? It's up to you, listeners. Text us on two one four three eight. All right. Well, that is it for news. I mean, we were asking for some news for ages, saying that there was no news out there, and now we got this shit. So that's good. Well, thanks. So thanks, world. There's more TSRs now, apparently. Right? I'm not. You know. I haven't verified this fact, but I read on a website, news website, that apparently there are now more TSRs than people in the world. Uh, How much is this? 149, sir. I've got 50p. Fuck you, bastard. Say what you were going to say. I was going to say, like, uh, there has been, like, a new Savage Worlds sort of mod announced uh, called Dark States that looks quite good. Oh, yeah, we probably should, because the bloke who is making dark states is all right he's all right he's and good. no no he's paying for the patreon he's paying for our holiday to barbados he's great <laughs> exactly <laughs> he's and, and dark states right i don't know much about it other than it's a modern horror investigation thing but i will say right now 10 out of 10 but if he stops paying one thing is though cracking gm so and i know he's, he's a smart he's a smart pup that's true. He is he is a GM. I've actually played in his games at Savage Con, and he's fucking good. So, yeah, Dark States. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, but, Sean, don't ever jump into my news again. All right? <laughs> you stay the fuck out of my news. Don't jump into your news. It's so interesting, man. If you you try- know, I just wanted- he wanted to be the fifth TSR. Yeah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the next bit of news. New TSR emerges. Dark you, states. I've seen Sean's on his laptop. He's just fucking um, registered. Just, yeah. <laughs> TSR five limited. Shawnee Gagax. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gary's long lost son. All right. What? Well, uh, yes. You know. Yeah. What you slaying? What? What do I know? All right, let's do what we've been saying. That's a good point. So we've been uh, we've been doing some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Hero Beasts game. Is that fair to say? Uh, it is a game. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Mutant Hero Beasts is like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I am running it. And these guys are beasts in, in a city, and they're trying to save the world and stuff. Uh, there's been a lot of terrorism in the city. Yeah, but we, to be fair, we had to do it. I mean, not you guys. Oh, right. (laughs) But yeah, you you guys have committed uh, quite a fair amount of treason. But um, But but, but here's the thing. The way this game is structured essentially is thus. We're mutant animals with kung fu type abilities living in a sewer. And we're trying to, basically, a school got attacked. We figured out that the people who attacked the school had military weapons and we wanted to know where they got them from turns out they stole them and they've been working for this country uh, company called ultron which is headed up by a guy called will ferrell as in like a feral animal yes which is both funny and funny exactly so i mean that that high quality humor to be fair Sean originally didn't want him to be called Will Ferrell. Um, I but paid him two bennies for that. Yeah. yeah and yes. we changed it. And now he also talks like Will Ferrell does that really loud thing where he's just saying something but saying it in a loud way. That's funny, isn't it? Uh, no, it is not. And also, it's sort of like... Take Attention, like, people of California! It's sort of like the RPG equivalent of, you know, when... Uh, 
you you have a custom set of clothes in a video game <coughs> and then you go into an FMV and like you're wearing clown clothes in this really clown emotional clown. sort of <laughs> really sort of emotional scene happening. Uh yeah. But Oh no, because because it, any scene Featuring but, Will Ferrell is in- inherently going to be bloody yeah, stupid and serious. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, uh, as a mad scientist, I guess he works pretty well. To be fair, there you go. So um, yeah, we've we've tracked him down. We tracked him down. We kidnapped him. We brought him back to the lab, which was a lot of fun because we had to try and get into his house by yeah, going in in a ma- masquerade ball. Yeah, it was handy that that was happening. Um, and like, it, the funniest thing about this campaign is like. It constantly happens at every session is um, obviously Sean's painstakingly sort of put together pieces printed off um, maps at a high quality print shop paid money for all this stuff and then we get to an encounter or something and Sean is, uh, will, will spend like a good actual minute or two setting it up and you know at the table that's fairly long um, and then we just um, dispatch the situation but, but incredibly fast. I will say this. Yeah, you we, we have been like bringing our A game every week in terms of plans. We, the reason being is because we know Sean's yeah, a killer Sean, DM. It's Sean's game. He That's tries why. to kill people. I don't try and kill people. I have My difficulty in my games is perfect. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I, I will advertise Modest. my games... Uh, right now, no. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know whether I'm running a good game, but at least the yes, difficult- you do. We always say it's good, you fool. Uh, yeah, it well, is good. It is good, are. but you, you sort of, you, you created this, right? This atmosphere of like we want to fuck you over, right? You, you, you did it to us. You notoriously so. Sean's like the only um, GM that we've had TPKs on, and so yeah. we know that we have to be careful. And the thing is, it's like one of the first guns that they brought out in the campaign at the school was a shotgun one Which of the most like, powerful weapons in Savage World that's like the character killer straight off the bat and then we're then we're fighting mooses and shit like this the way the campaign's sort of going right is it's kind of like we we expect the worst so we over prepare for things and that's how yeah. it's been like so it'll kind of be like with the masquerade ball for example it, we can't leave loose ends so when I got caught by the security guards well they just had to die do you know what I mean because <laughs> otherwise Sean's going to be like yeah an army comes to the base but funny enough after we captured Will Ferrell an army came to the base so um, well, yeah, do you want to just... explain yourself there mate well actually do you want to explain yourself right fuck because, you do, man do you both want to explain yourselves uh, basically because uh, you called uh, they basically found out uh, from the scientist Will Ferrell that uh, he was being controlled by the Shredder, who was defeated in 1987. Why are you talking like this? It's not like <laughs> actually an episode who was defeated by the Shredder. Who was defeated? Well into it. <laughs> I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just right, like, so, so, uh, uh, shut up, shut it, shut up. Listeners. Stop. It's good. It. It's good. Now. Casting. So, uh, no, it isn't. Um, just talk like a human might. Okay. If right. you can imagine such a oh, thing. Sorry. So, basically, we found... Oh, sorry, shut sorry, up, sorry, oh, sorry, Sean. I am going to... I, <laughs> I am going to kill you in real life. So you, told me, you told me to talk... Yeah, when you are... After you. ...allowed to speak. So, we found out that Shredder was mind-controlling this fucker into doing all of this bad stuff. And uh, Shredder sort of... Uh, well, we, we called him up. I mean, we asked Will, for, Will Ferrell for his number, and then we called Shredder up and pretended to be from the gas company 
And it just so happens that the army tries to call back. So we tra- we traced him, and they traced us right the fuck back. Yeah. So a hundred foot soldiers came into the fu- our fucking a hundred. This is the second base. A hundred. This is the second base that we've got. And we've gone through now. We get to we used it one session, and one you know, and a half session. And you know, bear in mind, nice, right? Bear in mind, it was a fucking train, unused train station. It was perfect. Most GMs, right? They probably <laughs> have one or two TPKs their entire career. <laughs> Sean, I think you've had. It's definitely double digits. I know that. Uh, in in camp in campaign terms, I don't think I've had many though. I think uh, when you guys decide in the two campaigns that you run for our group, besides this one. We TPK'd twice, three times total. Oh, wait, yeah. With the exclusion of the end of your Fallout one, where my guy managed to get away, but it was essentially a TPK. Oh, well, when you look, when you decided to take on the police, is that what you mean? Yeah, now he's trying to paint it like it was our fault. <laughs> and, and and listener, we're sitting in our base, hundred guys coming. So I mean, what the fuck is that all about? Uh, the thing that I think is funny, and, and the reason why we plan so much, is because we know. Firstly, <clears throat> Sean doesn't pull his punches, mm. and secondly, he he literally is the, the the least fudger ever. So he just rolls with the dice. At least, like in I some cases, sometimes, no. Yeah. But we've spoken about it before, where it's just like uh, at at a certain situation when you realise, oh shit, this is too bad. You'll just be like, you'll manoeuvre the situation so that the players have an idea of how deadly it is therefore yeah like I might do decision they'll be like oh yeah we should probably run something away. like that like, like maybe one of your NPCs gets killed and I describe how gruesome it was or maybe I call for a morale check a bit earlier for the monsters whatever like some there's like little buffers but it was a hundred guys come in right and what was uh, well let's call it what it is it was it was funny is Sean was trying to toss up like a way of quickly rolling a hundred attacks and I mentioned, I was like, just roll a D100. That gives each person the potential to do one damage, right? I think that was fair. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. So it does it. 87. What? Uh, Ryan's character hits the, hits the fucking deck. This character called Bear Grylls, who's a bear rapper. Um, he goes down uh, 87 damage. He's on 25 wounds or something like this, right? Because we're using Savage Worlds. Another quirk of Savage Worlds, at least modern Savage Worlds, is that you can spend a penny to influence the story, right? <laughs> so immediately we're like, 87 wounds, he's fucking down, he's fucking dying. There's no way he's coming back from that. So one of the other characters at the table, he goes, right, can I just spend a penny to see if the sewer starts falling apart with all of these guys in there and all the explosions going off and maybe then they can just re-roll damage, right? So he spends a penny to get Sean to re-roll damage. Um, and what, what was it? No, no, it was not to re-roll damage. It was to he rolled to see how many of them died in the crash, sort of taking damage uh. away from the 87, right? He spends the penny, rolls a D100, 100. Just, I know he gets it straight on, and all of us were going crazy because it's like every one of them died. So you influence the story. I I, I missed the session. You influence the story to see who who out of the army got crushed before they piled in on you guys. Yes, because they, of the explosions, there would have been debris. Also, debris. Yeah. Also, uh, there was a very high risk of you guys getting crushed as well. There you go. But they every that's amazing. Oh no! It was that's it, fucking. That this is, is why it's success so, territory. That there's a bit of a meme at our table where I constantly try to urge people to make really risky rolls that are probably not going to happen. Because if they do it, they're a 
fucking legend. Yeah, so that started with Genlab, and it would be like, if I, I'd i say to somebody, push the roll, and they'd be like, but I've only got one dice with which to roll, and I'd be like, yeah, but you know, if you get this, you'll be a fucking legend. <laughs> so I put it on our Facebook group, the guy that rolled that 100, he's officially a fucking legend. Can we yes. say that? So yeah, that was it. Was pretty fucking amazing. I can't remember what fucking happened after that, but it was. Uh, too, it doesn't fucking it matter. Hyped up. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. I can't. You remember. can't remember your own campaign. Um, no, no you wrote up earlier. No, no. You, you. Yeah, you were. You were just saying I can't. Remember. Oh no, I remember what fucking happened. So anyway, after the foot soldiers all died with the hundred, we get out and we're going over to Shredder's gaff, and uh, so we've we've started, but we're building bombs. And stealing a plane. And we're going over to the oh, techno mate, this drone. sounds great. So that's why we left the game, James. You weren't at that one, but uh, sadly a, a terrible thing happened. So oh, no. James is playing this character. He's a scoter, surf scoter, which is a type of duck. And so oh, he made no. a surfer character do. Scooter, man. And um, on our downtime, where we were supposed to be preparing for a mission, James just went to the beach and found a pet crab. Yeah, I went surfing, and then on my way back, I saw a crab, and then I, I named him Richard Wave. R.I.P. Dick Wave! R.I.P. Richard Wave. Yeah, we were in a fight, because when we got back to our base, right, from doing the previous mission, capturing Will Ferrell, we found the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fucking with our our dad, right? Because we've all got the same dad. He's a raccoon. Don't ask. But um, we killed two of them. Two of them got away, and I tried to do... There's a thing in Savage Worlds called an agility trick, where you can lower somebody's parry by, you know, throwing dirt at them, whatever. And for the first time, I was controlling your character, James. <laughs> I got out fucking dick wave, and I was just... Uh, I held him in my hand, and I was like, you got to do this for me, bro. Go and get him. I throw him. Crit fail. Sean's like, you throw the crab into the side of a train, and then... Um, no! And he, and, he, and he dies immediately, you know? No! And then it was funny, because one of the other characters went... Um, no, one of the other characters was like... Uh, don't don't worry about it, man. We can get that. We can get that fixed. We'll stuff him for you. And Sean was like, "No, there is no stuffing him. He has become a, basically a red cloud of crab meat." Oh no, mate! I'm so sad. We'll you get know, you another one. I'm real life sad. But, but it, yeah, I didn't control your character outside of battles. It was just to help us in the battle. And then the one thing he did, he, I killed your pet while you were <laughs> away. So Harrison, you're terrible. I am deeply. Deeply souls your dice oh, skills and Scott lost the use of his leg. Sorry. Yeah, uh, but uh, that is Moving it on. for what? What? No, not really. Oh. It was only one leg. Um, all right, so oh. <laughs> that is what we've been playing. We've been playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think we're coming close to the end, right? Because I feel like it's we've w- we've basically got James. We we've got like truckloads of fertilizer and sodium oh. nitrate and things like this. Because we're going to make a bomb and uh, tr- hopefully drop it on the technology. Surely, drone. just the truck, right? Well, uh, is the bomb? I don't know. Well, we... that is, it's going to be something like that. We're thinking of either putting the truck in there or we're going to go and steal an airplane. Uh, I don't know if you remember the the size of the technodrome from. Yes, yeah, so I do remember how 19... big it was, right? But bear in mind, I have bought what is it? I can't remember the amount, but something like two thousand kilos of fertilizer. Okay. If that's... you've ever seen. A fertilizer explosion. I have, yeah, yeah, couple, but um, yeah. Like, Be scared. I'm gonna have to do some. <laughs> Be scared. This, of this is what it comes down to. In I'm Sean's scared. Campaign. I'm scared because I'm gonna have to do a lot of maths now. Yeah, Just bring calculator, bro. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I got my phone. They said we wouldn't have calculators. Now look at us. Yeah, that's a good point. In all the tests when you were kids, and you're like, no, you won't be walking around with a calculator, so you have to do the non. Actually, mate, fuck I off. I think you'll find. <laughs> I think you'll find. My calculatrice is always at the ready. So, um, just another little addition. You, you listeners who um, sort of have been listening for a long time might remember that. We went round to a mate's house once and played a one-shot, and he had like a, a, a bell that you would use in a shop, like yeah. ding. You do it whenever you get critted, uh, or get got a crit, I should say. Um, James and I, unfortunately, the games have been a bit rowdy, haven't they? I mean, we've it's all been getting we, drunk, um, and we're we're trying yeah. to fuck Sean over, and like I think it's because um, <laughs> it's, it's because it's Sean's campaign and it's deadly. We're always like we're all quite a bit hype about it because we know it's we're in for like um, a tough. A tough time, but and when we get victory, we have time. to earn it, right? Yeah. You know? And every 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 smidge of victory actually is so sweet and nice that we get too carried away. So oh, James and I were sitting next to each other. Shut up! Actually. Sorry. Um, so <laughs> well, no, it is good. But yeah, James and I were sitting next to each other, and we downloaded some some meme sound boards <laughs> that we were using for whenever people did a crit. <laughs> but the unfortunate thing is, the urge to, to, to sort of do it constantly took me over. And yeah. it was just throughout that. And this is like the main one that's been used a lot. Get wrecked. Um, that's come out a lot. And uh, there's also... <laughs> Sean looks so depressed. But the worst thing was, is that the last game, like the one before the one that just happened... I was constantly doing it and I could see people getting annoyed but I still did it because the urge because it was like that urge to sort of be a bit bit cheeky bit naughty was always there really Larry yeah so for the rest of the podcast I'm going to be sort of busting these out every so often one equals two two has three letters a triangle has three sides math equals Illuminati confirmed (laughs) so that is the sort of high level of humour that's happening at the so game. So I have to sort of father children. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was so funny though because um, the other day I was like, no, 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 I, pr- I promise, I promise, I won't use it excessively. And then I just had it next to me, and the temptation was huge, but I did resist, didn't I? No, that was. good. And when you people, do- when people actually did crits, I was pressing the get wrecked. Did, but how many times did you press it? Oh, loads, obviously. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah. Got it all yeah. out there. There's a couple of random air horns, but you did a good job of... Nice you know, meme. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so that is that. But anyway, uh, I've recently... Uh, well, we've been doing some gets for the podcast, right? Uh, actual play-wise, to be perfectly honest, I don't know what's fucking happening at the moment because there's one sort of third of the actual play. Uh, you know, there isn't, you know. But anyway, we've been buying some stuff for our future actual play. So DCC, Goodman Games, they've just done... Uh, a Kickstarter for Dying Earth, which is their big new setting. And it's going to have four new character classes. And oh, it's, yes. Yeah, and there's... Um, yeah, so there's there's like one that's... Uh, I, I think it's either you play as a fluid, uh, a vat of fluid, or you play as something living in a vat of fluid. Wait, is Either this, way... Is this like... It sounds pretty awesome. Sorry, man. Carry it on. does sound wicked. Because uh, is this like a... Uh, post-apocalyptic for DCC or is this like a modern post-apocalyptic type thing? So it's a post-apocalyptic game sort of. So what it is is that it's a fantasy universe with a bit of science in it too where the moon has just you know, has gone and fucked off and the sun is like blinking out like a like a fucking light blinking out. You know when you've got like a dodgy bulb. Yeah, so this guy wrote these novels and it's based on those but the reason it's kind of like 
well, an important set of novels is because the whole system of magic that D&D uses comes from the Dying Earth novels. So essentially, you know how you, in D&D, you memorize a spell in the morning. Once you use it, it's gone from your brain. And then the next day you have to wake up and re-scribe them in your book to remember them for that day. Right? Yes. That, that essentially is how it works in Dying Earth. So it's kind of cool that they're, they're doing that crossover. But yeah, four new classes should be fucking good. And we're hopefully going to do an actual play of that in the future. And in addition to that, we also kick-started uh, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Yes. Third edition. So, um, yeah, this is like a... Uh, you know, like these sort of like Conan comic books and things like this. Mm. It's kind of like a mod for AD&D... But it's got 21 classes, I think, and it's a very comic book fantasy type thing set on a, f- a flat earth. So confirmed, flat earth confirmed. <laughs> but yeah, it should be should be fucking good. Uh, that's that's about all I know about it. But we have um, essentially James came up with a fucking cracking idea for an actual play using that system. So we're gonna do that. <laughs> yes. Wait. So um, here's a question for you: Has anyone seen the Earth, like the round Earth? I, I knew, I knew, like, I had a suspicion, Sean, that you were a flat earther. Because, see, no, because no, you, because, so lowly, right, yeah. I'm not, I'm, what, this next sentence Terrible. I'm about to say is a joke and is not true at all. But I know you enjoy a hip-hop cigarette. Um, I do, yeah. Right, that part was a joke and that's not true. But, so why is it that weed people are so into, cons- I've put my notes on the floor, why do they love conspiracy, you believe all of it. <laughs> I don't believe all of it. No, you do. You no, like that? Uh, Jet fuel couldn't melt steel beams. Do you believe that one? I mean, I couldn't. Right. They're turning the frogs gay. Um, what about that one? Well, I mean, that was. I mean, you know, Alex Jones. He's a bit. You know. He's... Yeah, but you believe a lot of what he says. I don't. No. Wow. Hesitation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bear in mind, Alex Jones is, is from the uh, quote-unquote news site where he said that uh, chemical weapons are turning frogs gay and also that... Uh, well, I don't even know what the context was, but there's that clip of him going, um, I, want, I want to go in with a goblin guide and I hope he's not kissing his goblin wife. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you like this man's stuff. I don't really watch Alex Jones, but um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, you, I'm, I'm not really a conspiracy guy. But yes, like, you, yes, you are. Like, He's not really one, but he I like, I like conspiracies and stuff. Mm. I mean, do you remember when you thought that you'd found uh, evidence of alien life on Google Earth? Wait, um, no, wait, I didn't. No, I found area. I looked for area. I found it. He's the finder. I looked for area 51 on Google Earth and I I found it, but it was blocked out. So that's what's got me going on this whole conspiracy train. There was a point where basically, basically Sean was looking at farms on Google Earth and you know, they have grain silos that are circular. He's like, that's where the fucking UFOs are. Like, and you meant it. Like, Sean looks really embarrassed right now because it's fucking true. Oh, good. Um, oh, this is good. It's not. It's terrible. But, um, but flat, yeah, flat. I don't believe in all conspiracies, but some of them... You I believe think. in more some of the stupider ones? Uh, so, no, some of the good ones. You yeah. used to... <laughs> Do you remember oh. when you were, when I was we were talking about David Icke and I was like he's a nutter isn't he somebody that believes that the highest powers in society are all lizards and you're like but he has got a point 
Well, no, he's he's. Uh, oh way, my god, the way Sean he, Hunt. The way he talks is cool, like um, like, and he's a good writer. But like, I don't believe that he's royal, a madman. I don't believe that royal the royal family are lizards or anything. But you know, there's something going on there. You know, look at Prince Philip. He's like, he's like, where he was wearing that skin. Is it too soon to make Prince Philip? Jokes? Actually, do you know what? Do you know what? When Tony Blair was prime minister, Sean. Oh my god, this is this is the best. I'm so glad we brought you on here, man, because this is great. Thank you. I'm loving this. We'll get back to RPGs in a second, but I remember when um, Tony Blair was prime minister, and Sean was like, "Well, look up, look at him when he's on a podium, right? Always sweating. Why is he so sweaty? It's the middle of winter. I mean, it couldn't be the stage lights. It's because he's a lizard wearing human skin." Uh, did he actually say that? He, he actually thought Sean, that. Sean, did you actually say that? Well, I mean, like, I didn't mean... Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean, like... Don't I didn't, confirmed I didn't, it. I Illuminati confirmed I didn't mean, like... like I didn't <laughs> mean, right. like, lizard or anything. Like, I meant, like, you Lizardy. know... I mean, there's something going on, in it. You he, thought... No, I think you thought he was an alien. He looked He looked a bit like an alien, though. <laughs> a lot of people look a bit... James looks a bit like an alien. Fucking, yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh! <laughs> Is that your alien impression? You, you, well, it's because it wasn't... You can't... All, you can't... <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't audibly see my face, so I had to make yeah, a you noise. Don't look oh. like a, like, you don't look like some weird slender man, like some ghoul from Fallout, innit? You, you, right. Your head's got... This is it, why is it every time we have you on, there's a bit where it gets like really... Like, Sean was talking last time he was on about horses for about 20 minutes, like conspiracy theories about horses. And now... Cut it all out. So yes, Sean, uh, just to summarise, uh, Alien, Tony Blair, Flat Lizard. Earth, Lizard People... Conspiracy, and still conspiracy. beams. Illuminati exists. Uh, yes, actually. Right. Um, Thank you. you <laughs> that's uh, right. That's that was Sean's conspiracy corner. Oh, wait, but no, I did have an idea for an episode though. You should do Illuminati: The Game by Steve Jackson. Yeah, but it's a board game, Sean. I mean, but it's still Steve Jackson games. But it did also get mentioned in the one we did about Steve Jackson game. Oh, this I is meant- more of a sort of like a production meeting. Okay. What this will we turn this into a production meet? No, I'm saying this is for <laughs> <laughs> right. You're an idiot. We're gonna get on to the main subject now, right? Sorry about all that conspiracy chat, but Sean basically believes anything he reads on the internet. Yeah, so, yeah. good lad. Good main subject magic main subject Tokyo main subject. So, Mega Dungeons, sprawling multi-level level labyrinths that take months and months of gameplay to explore. I know what you're thinking, sounds like a lot of fun, I hear you say. Well, there is a distinct possibility that you might be wrong. While video games like Dark Souls or Metroid treat us to the exploration of huge dungeons with ex- expert background storytelling and themes communicated via imagery and en- environments, this is a practice often difficult to get right in the RPG world. Because in a video game, people tend to be more primed to engage with the environment in ways other than fighting, while RPGs tend to need a bit more spelling out to players, so dungeons often feature, you know, old paintings or carvings to get across the point of it rather than doing it organically. So, and that's all well and good, you know, for a one-shot or even one that takes ten sessions, and it's not an unreasonable task to ask of any RPG producer to, you know, chuck in a bit of scribblings or some bit of doodles on the wall, you know what I mean? But for them to sprinkle in an interesting story when it's when the dungeon is scaled up to an unbelievably stupid size, do the ideas of story-rich dungeons become too watered down, spread too thin? 
Well, it's possible, lads, and we're going to investigate this today by looking at some of the most popular examples of the Mega Dungeon format Illuminati, and we'll also dive a little bit into the history of the genre and see how we got to the place we're at now with Mega Dungeons. Does that sound like fun? Say yes. I can't contain my excitement. James. I mean, I can contain it. Please do. In a really well... well You're doing well. You're doing well. I mean, James looks like he's bored. But inside, <laughs> inside, I'm containing my excitement. So, Sean, are you excited? Yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm excited. On a scale of one to fifteen, uh, sixteen. Like. You've made a mockery of that scale. <laughs> uh, That's how exciting. I mean, I made a mockery of this show already. So. You have, you have. But the thing is, this I've got so much dirt on you. That's the trouble. <laughs> That's that's the fucking trouble. Um, yeah. Look, let's yeah, just say, let's out. just say. If you can dig out the book you wrote about street luging, I, I we'll review it on this show. Okay. I'll, Have you got it? I, I've got it, yeah. Oh, yes! yes! Oh, that would be good to read. Can we read it? But actually, uh, it sort of got replaced with the lyrics you guys wrote. and I Which wrote I stole it. mainly from Linkin Park. Yeah. Anyway, Mega Dungeons. What are they? As the name suggests, they're huge, sprawling underground labyrinths that the PCs explore in search of treasure... Jewels, ghouls, goblins, and ghasts. Often featuring several levels, they are massive. And as such, they aren't really supposed to be explored in one go. <coughs> Usually, what PCs do is explore as much as they can before they reach breaking point or run out of resources, then go back to a nearby town to recoup and do downtime shit. So, when D&D first became a thing in the late 70s, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax, the game's creators, were both running mega-dungeon-style mega games. And these took place over like many, many months of play. And as such, when the team demoed the game at cons, they would run shorter modules designed to be super difficult and have a winner in air quotes. And that's where we get tournament modules from. That's how that came about. Because they were running these big fucking labyrinth games and at fucking conventions that just wasn't the done thing. So they just... Because uh, uh, obviously I've never sort of done anything like that. And I don't know if any of us have. We, we played it. I've run one tournament module for you guys. Uh, the Carnival it, of Doom Death. Uh, the Death Carnival. Yes. Actually, that was awesome. But that's I was going to say, I didn't, I've never really dipped my toes in it, but I have. It's quite it's quite a fun uh, fun thing to do. There was a great um, episode of the Spellburn podcast all about tournaments. Um, but yeah, that's how they came about, basically. And at first, these types of tournament modules were the only kinds of adventures that TSR actually published because, to quote Gygax, talking about his Greyhawk Mega Dungeon campaign, he says, If we handed over the binders containing the maps and notes, I don't think even the ablest of DMs would be able to feel empowered to direct adventures using the module. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't until 1990 that we saw the first Mega Dungeon. Greyhawk ruins, and funny thing is, this wasn't the Greyhawk ruins that Gary had had uh, had thought up. He actually left the company five years prior and took all of his campaign notes with him. So the first ever Mega Dungeon was actually pieced together from memories of the people that played in the original, but bared actually very li little similarity. Seven months later, though, we see perhaps the most iconic Mega Dungeon ever made: the Ruins of Under Mountain. They're such good names. They are good names. I, I I like that one. And the Temple of Elemental Evil is such a good fucking name oh, no, as well. Yeah, that's actually a really good game as well. Yeah, it is. And yeah. uh, it's, it's a very good game. And uh, yeah, they, the names of things used to be so evocative. But DCC is still doing that. I guess with things like Moon Slaves of the Cannibal Kingdom. Like, that's pretty fucking good. It is. 
But yeah, so set in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting, this huge, ludicrously big dungeon was pretty legendary. It's so fucking big that it's often referred to in the text as a never-ending labyrinth, which is <laughs> probably why a commonly held opinion that it was actually uh, designed never to be finished is kind of like, like that's a widely accepted thing about Undermountain. Now, James, you've seen the map, the, or the maps. Well, all right, so firstly, you know, it's, it could be... I thought um, it was a bit of a joke, to be honest, when I didn't realise what it actually was, because I just thought, oh... That's like, you know when someone does a doodle on um, some grid paper and then you just like, you're just tracing the squares but then every now and then not making a whole square. I thought it was like that, but a really big version. It, it, it does look like that. Um, and Sean, they're ridiculous. They're like, well, I mean, this is a terrible thing to do on radio, but see those frames behind me, behind you? It's like that size. So if you can imagine that, listeners, that's how fucking big it is. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's an A2 size. For a, yeah, and yeah. and it's the the tiny little grid paper you tend to use for drawing dungeons out. So it's insanely big, right? And uh, yeah, the the fact that it was designed to never be finished was further evidenced by the fact that only four of the nine levels of the dungeon were included within the original box set. And in fact, the book says that the box set is an introduction to the uppermost levels of Munda Mountain. Introduction. And uh, that's 160 pages of dungeon, mate. Ugh. 160 pages of just dungeon rooms, each the size of those frames over there. I mean, Christ almighty. Four gigantic maps and eight pages of new monsters are also sort of included as well. So it's a pretty, pretty big introduction. It's a pretty chunky it's introduction. A good, it's a good book, though. It's a really good book. Like, that's a whole world right there. Value for money. you got you got brand well, new, never-before-seen <laughs> monsters in there. Only eight, though. Eight pages. I mean, come <laughs> on. Eight. Only eight, <laughs> eight monsters. <laughs> eight monsters. Oh, no. But that, that is good. I mean... Well, I mean, it seems like value for money, doesn't it? But the, the, yeah, but for, for what it's meant to... What you're meant to do with it, which I, is the same um, the same type of gameplay constantly. Look, we're going to review it now, fair, right? I'll get I'll get I'll get into it because we need to know if Undermountain is actually any fucking good because nobody's ever finished it. Few people have ever fucking played it. So is so it? So it's not one of those things where they say it's the unfinishable game and it's actually finishable. Then. I don't know if anyone's ever... Definitely nobody's finished it, right? Because okay. only the four levels are available. So even if people have finished the published stuff. It's highly likely that the DM didn't then go on to plan, uh, like, a similar size thing for the next five fucking levels, because they would be dead long before they got to do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially the story behind the whole thing, right, is there's this mage called Halaster that got fed up of society and recruited a bunch of apprentices to help him build a new castle in the side of Mount Waterdeep. And each apprentice was tasked with making a different part. Now, I know what you're thinking. So each of the wizards built one level and the last two are maybe Halisters or something like that. But no, not really. At some point during the building of his lair, right, Halister went missing and it turns out he'd gone completely mental, hired a bunch of deep dwarves to build a huge underground death trap so that he could keep prying eyes away from his stuff and his research and all of that shit. Now, obviously, the seven apprentices were pissed because their paychecks stopped coming in. So they went down down into these ruins to search for their boss and then two of them died and Halaster actually wasn't happy with his fucking result right because if, if his dungeon was built well all of them should have died right yeah so instead of fucking off right out of there and leaving the apprentices for some reason agreed to help Halaster in making the dungeon even harder than it was before completely forgetting that Halaster just you know punked two of their mates <laughs> 
Now, one of the apprentices, probably the only one with a brain, uh, didn't agree to help and instead fucked off and wrote a book about Halaster and how mental it was working for him. Uh, give me a second. Oh, sorry, I, th I thought I fucked it. Yeah, so so they, uh, where is it, the book? Uh, oh, yeah. And then that book became a New York bestseller, and as such, the hunt for Hallister's treasure was on. The name of the escaped apprentice was Jasira Castleharp, and she obviously only saw the beta test for the dungeon, right? The one where two people died, not the final release. Yeah. Because she escaped before the remaining apprentices set to work on it. So the book she wrote, well, you know, a cracking read... A uh, real page-turner was basically useless, other than the fact it brought attention to the entrance of the upper levels of Undermountain. It, it brought attention to the intro to the Undermountain. <laughs> attention to the intro of the intro. Yeah, and it was it was a 900-page book included, and, and it was called Everything You Need to Know About the Introduction to the Entrance of the Dungeon. <laughs> I don't know that for sure. I might have misremembered that. So yeah, um, the story of this is bloody stupid, but it's essentially an excuse for going and getting treasure and exploring mines. And I'm trying to, at least, because yeah. you want to get the treasure. If you want to get to the end, well, it's not happening. If you want to get the treasure, probably not happening either, because mm. it's a fucking death tram. So yeah, the story is uh, is a bit uh, is a bit naff, but uh, it's a bit rubbish. I think. I mean, why didn't he just go and kill them? I mean, you know, go and kill who? I mean, why did he have to make a dungeon? Uh, and well, he's not going to fucking go around the world seeking everyone that might be after his riches and killing them. I mean, that's what he wanted to do, isn't it? I mean, well, not really. He just thought if anyone comes to take my treasure, here's thousands upon thousands of traps for miles below ground. Yeah, I mean, but it, it sets up the game, so you know. so it's, it sets up the game. It's not exactly a good premise, but the whole thing about mega dungeons is you're supposed to go back to the town to rest, and that's where you do downtime, and that's where the story is. It's more about your character's development outside the dungeon. The dungeon is just what he does for a job, basically. Yeah. Um, but there are like mini stories within the Undermountain, right? See, there's one staple of this type of adventure is like the rumors table. So while you guys are at the pub, you can roll a d20 and get one rumour a day. And these can either be related to factions that live in the dungeon, specific treasures that can be uncovered, shit like that. So that is kind of the basis for the adventures down the dungeon. Somebody might say, somewhere on the first level, there's a big old fuck, fuck off ruby or something like this, you see? And if you're using this as a setting rather than conquering each level of the dungeon, which would be near impossible, maybe you just hear a rumour about the mad wizard that lives in the dungeon and your goal is to find him. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So you're not going, you don't, you're not ticking off every fucking room. But there's one uh, that I quite liked. There's a thieves guild, right? And they went to, uh, they, they were so annoyed right, the, 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 uh, about a uh, s sentencing of a crime that they got, that they uh, went down Undermountain and live there now. Which I can't imagine that is much nicer than prison. Well, why would they do that? I don't know, but it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, there's another one as well that the Waterdeep government are offering gold for the destruction of evil temples found in the dungeons, so your mission might be going in looking for them and taking them out. And all of these things just serve to add context to the overall thing but, and give you a purpose. Because otherwise, it's just a meaningless acquisition of treasure. And actually, despite the stupid premise, these little hooks individually are okay-ish. And enough for a four-session game or something like that. And to my absolute surprise, right, the dungeon itself isn't terrible. The map is so utterly massive it's basically a joke, but really what this book is is several smaller dungeon adventures linked into one giant theme. Now, mm. obviously, get, they get really, really fucking samey, but the book cordons off each section of the Undermountains into their own safe, self-contained thing. 
So it's you can just snip out parts to use. If you ever need a quick, dirty dungeon for your night of gaming, pick a page. There it is. Dirty I like dungeon. Sorry. Dirty dungeon. Dirty dungeon. If you would have come down my dirty dungeon, um. So yeah, you you can just snip out parts, and because of uh, and, and the bad guys in the whole thing, right? The monsters themselves, they basically have no reason for being there. Not none, right? Well, of course the, they don't. The excuse for it, right, is that uh, Halister just gates them in from other dimensions. Yeah, so ugh. so that means that you could. Have a goblin and a giant spider casually sharing the same room, and a green dragon and a beholder in the same yeah, room. Yeah, you could have a dragon in there that conceivably never would have been able to find its way to that point in the dungeon, or fit in the room, fit yeah. in through the door to the yeah. room. Like it's that type of thing. So it's just basically a shit excuse to have anyone they wanted where you're playing a hack and slash campaign. So you know that was uh, that was Undermountain. What do you guys think of it? I like the idea of using it not as it was originally intended. Mm-hmm. More so than how just, it was meant Just to taking be. out layouts for yeah. dungeons. I, yeah. like, I, I like the potential that you could have the dungeons as a bit of artwork. Um, yeah, I yeah, because you, yeah, you could just photocopy the page and then there you go, you've yeah. got it all done. You yeah. could do, be one of those really, really long mazes where you have to solve. Yeah, it just doesn't sound that fun though. No. Well, it doesn't... Uh, really sound like they've done anything to make the rooms interesting. Um, it sounds like you're, you're going to be just going into rooms from room to room, killing monsters and shit. Yeah, that, it's, just, it's just the same thing over and over again. That is essentially it. Um, but the one thing I can say is that the the encounters are varied. Even if they don't make a lot of sense, they are varied. Although it does raise the question why Halister didn't just, if he can open casually open portals to other dimensions, why didn't he just hide his treasure? in another dimension. Yeah, because he's an idiot. Because then someone from another dimension will steal it. Oh. Um, so he yeah. keeps it in his dimension, in his domain. So anyway, while the Greyhawk adventure was this first mega dungeon, Undermountain basically became the standard for published mega dungeons, for better or for worse, mainly worse. And from this point on, 90% of these types of adventures would include dungeons with one overarching theme, little story behind the actual fucking thing, and would include rumour tables, a mini setting in the form of the surrounding area, and a couple of new monsters. Undermountain had set the standard, and from here, it very rarely evolved beyond this. Which brings me nicely to the Barrow Maze. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it's very hot in this room, so we'll get to the next set, it's next dungeon, after we've gone for a break, yeah? All right. Yes. All right. See you in a minute, guys. Goodbye. Good morning, Glenn. Yeah, so uh, Barrow Maze, right? I know what you're thinking. It's not delicious Italian sauce often put over pasta. You know, like <laughs> spaghetti Barrow Maze. Um, but Why is that funny? It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, but yeah, this the Barrow Maze, right? This is often talked about as the shining example of the genre of mega dungeons. And let me say this, guys. It really fucking isn't. We, it's no, fucking wait, we rubbish. Did, we did Barrow Maze, actually, didn't we? Well, we did part of it. We used the setting a little bit. It, and was, a, it was a lot of fun, but you you heavily sort of put your own I'm, stuff I had it. to mod the fuck out of it, and you you'll see like, why. You, you was like, uh, well, we'll go. you go in and you can plunder one certain part of it each time, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah you made it um, much easier to manage for the players 
But and I also changed a lot of the content of the dungeons, and oh, yes, you guys sure. will definitely see why. So the story behind Spaghetti Baramaze is <laughs> there's this god called Nurgle, right? And he realised one day that his sons Orcus and Set were going to fuck him up and steal his most powerful relic called the Tablet of Chaos. And I mean tablet as in a stone tablet, not like a paracetamol. Um, funny ha, joke. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> And basically, if his sons get it, they'll be able to take his throne as the god of evil. Now, the thing is, right, Nurgle is mad scared, right? So he buries the fucking thing deep underground, commands the des- the dead. He commands a bloke called Dez to... Uh, <laughs> to command the dead. And then Dez gets the dead to rise and protect the Tablet of Bad. And then basically hides in a cupboard. So, and, and then basically Nurgle hides in a cupboard. So opposing factions who worship each of the sons, Orcus and Set, have set up shop down there looking for the thing so that their respective deities can rise up and gain power. Now, given that Nurgle needed a bunch of risen dead to protect the tablet, he had to do it somewhere where a lot were available. So he asked his mate Dez, and uh, Dez chose a site which is basically a huge field of ancient tombs covered by barrow mounds hence barrow maze it's clever which is a nice coincidence because people are often buried with their treasured stuff so the money the pcs and and the jewels and all of that that they're trying to loot they can uh, they can find it down there and also go about saving the world so it's it's a, it's convenient very now out of the hundreds upon hundreds of uh, mounds you can uh, you can explore only about 15 of them are entrances to the actual dungeon beneath the field of tombs. And each of the entrances are hidden under barrow mounds. So the players have to go around digging up graves full of zombies to find a way in, then find... Imagine... Ta- that's quite fun, isn't it? Um, no. Imagine doing that and how tiresome that would be. Yeah, so you, you can feel the digging... Yeah, I think it's supposed to be this thing of, like, tireless work. And to be fair, I'm exaggerating. There's only about 65 entrances to the fucking thing. Only 65, that's cool. But 15 of them are actual entrances, you know. And uh, and, uh, but but 65... There's 65 barrow mounds, most Mm. of which are just your standard tombs. 15 of them are entrances to the big tomb of the real maze, right? Right. Now, if you, like me, are really fucking smart and great and handsome, you would have noticed a problem already, right? So when you go down there, you fight cultists, zombies. What else? Well, fuck all, actually. So maybe the odd roving adventurer or frogmen from the nearby swamp, but the roster of combatants in Barrow is really fucking small. Undermountain had a kind of shitty contrived reason for having all these different monsters together, but in a game where fighting and exploring is the main fucking thing, it's kind of necessary to have a bit of decent variety of things to hit or places to explore. And that's the other thing. It's just tombs, tombs, and more fucking tombs. That's all it is. And actually, the maze itself, once you manage to get in, is basically the same as a tomb, but long. Right? (laughs) So, there is... (laughs) So, like, Shaquille O'Neal's tomb, basically. Yeah, well, more like a tomb, but designed by a maniac. So, it's, like, got, you know, hallways that lead to nowhere. Way more dead people in it than makes sense. So how many games does this run at? Because I could like, I think this would be quite a good two gamer. Uh, well, considering the size of it, it's it's at least ten before you get bored of it. That's so and cool. if you actually wanted to do it, probably fifty to sixty. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> 
There is one reason, though, that I think this setting is worth taking a look at, and uh, the, the actual setting around the fucking thing is really fucking good, and even the story behind the whole thing, it's not bad. The surrounding swampy er areas are, like, dark and gruesome and scary and a hell of a lot of fun to explore, and additionally, the nearby towns are brimming with, like, really fucking great characters, all of which are statted, and there's, like, a local militia in a place called Iron Guard Mott, and there's Bogtown which is this shitty town that grew up in the area, which you guys will remember from our Lamentations campaign. Yes. And basically, yeah, because so many people were coming to explore the fucking dungeon and try and get rich, a local sort of cottage industry built up around this trade. So there's like this town where, you know, you can buy adventuring gear, there's inns to stay and things like this, and it grew up because the Barrow Maze is there. And they served spaghetti barrow maize in the... <laughs> no, I've, uh, that joke okay. wasn't good enough to warrant three times, no, was it? it wasn't. Shut up now. Okay. There's also more locations nearby to adventure besides the maze itself, and the whole thing has this sort of like grimy feel to it. It's all fog, darkness, and grim characters, and a great setting for a horror-themed mega-dungeon. It's a shame, then, that the concept is so flawed, because the majority of the game... Because the majority of the game consists of doing the same thing over and over and over, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's, that would be a difficult sell to your players, wouldn't it? Yep. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the the podcast, uh, The Delvers, they play Barrow Maze on there. And I quite like it, but mostly for the table banter. Well, yeah, but the thing is, it's 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 unique with, with The Delvers because obviously they're playing it with their kids. And, yeah, exactly. That's what makes it fucking entertaining because he's... He, basically, the way he runs it yeah. is just your bog standard, like... It's like, well, it's it's all like methodical. It's like, yeah. okay, you can dig this amount of mud in a day, then you go back to the end, blah, 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 resources, etc. Yes, but, but that's quite good because it's sort of um, it's teaching a lot. Yeah, and that's, and that's quite entertaining to hear. The but the kids, you know, they really get into their characters and oh. they're like, oh, I've got a dog and he's got, and it's, anyway, it's really cute and it's really cool. But, uh, and this is this is a good thing, right? So, so, um, this is, I mean, this is cool, right? This is a cool thing about it because, you know, it's just, it's basically a long tomb and then several short tombs over and over and over again for 50 sessions. And I think that's why I set the price at £50, uh, not including well, postage. Wow. Well, that's less than a pound a tomb, I think. So, <laughs> we, well, why would you? <laughs> Got to collect them all. Here's the thing, but would you pay 50p for a two-room tomb? If the answer is yes then seek help but it's, also buy this if we're talking of fictional teams but no I mean this, this for, is if all, it was a real fucking tomb I'd be well up for it but if I mean you know I mean I wouldn't pay £50 for it but I think this should be like a four game thing I think like when the boredom reaches its height you know get them in there you know like you but then, I mean? but then you have to remember that, that it's it's specifically made not to be a four game thing, and it is. Oh, yeah, but it is yeah. it's so dull it's and made boring. Made to be a very long, challenging, arduous process. But I think I think in a, in a fucking fantasy game, right? Once you reach a certain, once you level up, the things you're fighting should be varied and challenging and different, right? But what happens at level one in a Barrow Maze campaign, and what happens at level fifteen in a Barrow Maze campaign, is exactly the same fucking thing, except with more monsters. Yeah, but well, uh, no, though, because it would just be more zombies. Well, this well, is like be, a big floor, well, be isn't it? More, yeah, that's what I mean. Well, like, yeah, that's zombies. what it is. It is a big floor. Oh, get out! But yeah, this adventure basically it takes months of play and includes like three hundred rooms. But take one look at this, and you'll see, as Sean rightly mentioned, it's a one-shot 
or short campaign concept stretched so thin you can fucking see through it. The descriptions of the rooms and what they contain remind me of adventures like Keep on the Borderlands and Palace of the Silver Princess, which are good adventures, but they were created in such a way that the GM is supposed to insert his own story and fit the rooms to his campaign, and those are also small products for less than 15 quid. This is a £50 product with brief characterless descriptions of essentially the same three types of room over and over. And what's funny, if you look at the page for the game on DTRPG, its description includes a link to a video where a guy who's clearly got like buyer's remorse tries to justify the price by talking about the amount of rooms that it has. Uh, it's like, look, 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 a mega dungeon can be a good idea, but more rooms doesn't necessarily equal more good. So why have they charged £50 for it then? Because, well... Because it took them fucking their whole life to write it because it's so massive. That, and also it's a very, very well-presented book. It looks nice, and I think the art budget was how he justified the stupid... It. Bear in mind, you could get the player's handbook for D&D for £25. So this yeah. guy's... And this is available for 5e, so it's a supplement... For the game that costs as much as two of the books combined. Well, you do, that's good. That's good selling, that, isn't it? As, I mean, I mean, but the trouble is, I bought it, so I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, but you bought it for this, for this. Yeah. Well, when when I actually I bought it to use, then sold it, then I. Well, I luckily downloaded the PDF when I fucking bought it. So uh, for this review, that's what I used. But yeah, I sold it to um, Bruce Cunnington, who's quite famous in DCC circles. And um, I don't think he's opened it yet and looked at it because... Oh, yes, I remember this. Because for two reasons. Firstly, if he did read it, he'd probably call me up asking for a refund. And secondly, I went through a phase of including strange pictures of myself in the back of books I sent to people who bought it. Yeah, in a random page inside. So it was my mum was here and she was encouraging me to do it and I had a fruit bowl on my head and was smiling like a really weird smile. And uh, that's in there somewhere. So I don't think he's actually opened it and that's probably for the best. So Baramaze, what are we thinking? Yay or nay? It's good um, again to be used as a room um, encyclopedia type thing. Sort of though, but not as good as Undermounting because no. the the, the, the encounters are just the same three encounters over and over again. No, no, you're right there. So, Sean, what do you think of Baronaise? Baronaise. Uh, Baronaise yeah. or Baronaise? Uh, yeah, I'd say Baronaise. Uh, I'd say Barra stay away from this because it <laughs> is not that good. Well, that's some Sorry, really I, fine wisdom there, Sean. I mean, I had all this cool stuff to say in my head, but. You know, we've already, we've but it just didn't when it got to the mouth, something happened. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> but you know, the good thing about Barrow Mazo as well is that obviously, you know, you know, like you know, maps of dungeons, like old school dungeons. They don't even include drawings; it's just the layout, right? The yeah. boxes. You do get that with a game, um, which is cool. You know, you get the high quality JPEG map that you can. Pre- oh, actually, got a call from the producer coming in. Uh, you don't, you don't get that. You have to pay for the maps separately. What? How much? How much what? is them? £7. $10. Each. $10 for the map? Yep. Each? No, it's just for the one one layout of the floor. Oh, I fine. think you get the surrounding area too, but yeah. So, I'm uh, going to get the map for 50 quid, man. I'm like, Jesus Christ. No, the map's not 50 quid. The book's 50 quid. The map's are $10. No, in the book. They should put the map in the book. Well, the map's in the book, but if you want an actual copy to print I and use... They tore out the map from the book. Yeah, so they tore out... No, the map... Sean, the map's in the book. But if you want right. the high-res JPEG version to print 
out to use, you have to pay extra. And that's... They sh- no. <laughs> so, they should... No. Yeah, and Greg Gillespie, who designs it, he's a good game designer. He's done really good fucking dungeons, like the Bastion of the Bogglings. But uh, bloody Baramaze, it sucks. It sucks anus. <laughs> So and uh, so we got two so far. So it's a nil nil for mega dungeons, right? Under mountain, no, but maybe Baramaze, no. And you know this problem that Greg Gillespie has in Baramaze it exists in every well regard regarded mega dungeon, taking some huge underground structure and making every room meaningful would take years and years. Stone hell, that's another right re- highly regarded mega dungeon and. So, Stonehell is a labyrinth-lord mega-dungeon, and it features bare-bones design, and just enough to get it going. So, the story is essentially this, lads. Stonehell was a prison, and loads of sentient beings were held captive there. Like, orcs, ghasts, ghouls, all of them were held prisoner there. So, what happened, one day, uh, somebody bought Stonehell, it changed hands, or somebody got it in a will, or whatever, and all the bad guys got released. But the trouble is, is they can't find their way out. So ten years later, some of the monsters have formed gangs, set up micro-economies, and a kind of social ecosystem has formed amongst this uh, gigantic prison. I like this premise already. Me too. Um, So each room is described minimally, and as are the reasons for the beasts or people being there. The book actually says it's so that you can insert in your own meaning or backstory, and even suggest cutting parts of the dungeon out to use as one-shots. Which I really like. Like, I appreciate the honesty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Greg Gillespie's like, he's like, look, this is, this is a fucking masterpiece you're going to pay 50 fucking quid for. But the Stonehell guys, they're saying, look, you're not probably not going to play all of this. Cut bits out. Use it. It's not got much story, but you're welcome to insert that in there. And he's got a good reason for all the monsters being there too, which yeah. is rare in this. Yeah, that, that reason like, really, really works as well. Yeah, exactly. I like it. And uh, it's pretty generic. It's a cool little toolbox, but it suffers from the same problems the other two we've spoken about, like which is to say that it lacks any real character or meaning. However, how fucking ever, it is actually a decent price. 12 quid from Lulu. Is it? So, you know what I mean? It's like, if you want to nab a book to use for quick and dirty dungeons, it's a good, it's a good way to go, you know isn't it? How many pages is this one? I don't know. This because is, I am not... I don't research This stuff. is a good route, though. This is a good route. The toolbox route, I think. Yeah, because it's just basically, here's yeah, a big fucking dungeon layout done. with some decent encounters yeah. in it, and it's, it's... It's done what we're saying should be done in the case of exactly. having a mega dungeon. Because it doesn't have... What we've found, really, is that mega dungeons lack any real story depth. So if you just accept that and go, look, I know it has loads of rooms, but it's not worth 50 quid. It is worth about 12. And Stonehell, you know, is that price. So it's a good way to go. There is, however, one giant gaping problem with Stonehell. I mean, it's a good fucking thing. But why would you go down to Stonehell to explore? Because it's not like there's many riches down there. It was a prison, right? And it's got its own economy now. Why would you go into the prison... Well, well, yeah, so unless you want some ramen noodle packets or Well, if they've fags got their own whatever. economy, then that means there are riches. Yeah, yeah but, but it would be, like, it'd be you. like, you know, in prisons how they trade ramen noodle packets. It would be like that. It would be something that outside of Stonehill is utterly worthless. No, but it's prison to them because they can't escape it. But or are you trying to, are you trying to free them? Is that the point? Well, yeah, I mean, you could have that as the story, couldn't you? That could be another reason for going down there, but the... The richest thing doesn't work. So, Sean, let's say, for example, right, you're not, you're not, you're not getting this, 
if say for example you go down a dungeon right yeah. you open a chest there's a hundred ramen noodle packets in there yeah but you're well, saying- then you go into this weapon shop yeah, wanting a new glaive wait a second I've just realised a bigger flaw about it all if it's taken them ten years to not escape yeah it's going to take you a minimum of ten years to try and find them yeah but you hmm <laughs> 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 I think I've just fucking fucked it. Well, yeah, because if it's that fucking complicated, yeah. you you haven't got a chance. No. Uh, well, unless you leave some breadcrumbs. Yeah, but then that's the currency, so it'll get picked back up. You know, yeah, it's like that's true. I'll then the rat news. people will start nibbling at it. Yeah, exactly. Rat fault. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, is this for Dungeons and Dragons also? Well, Labyrinthord. So oh, any okay. any basic expert Dungeons Dragons like old school stuff. Okay. Cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can add your own reasoning for you know the players going all down there. It would easy, it, and you know, it would be easy for me to call this product lazy, right? Because it uses the same old fantasy monsters in a generic fashion, drags it out over ten floors in 120 rooms apiece. But it's twelve quid, and it's more fair for something like this, where the real point is that it's just a dungeon layout that you can use if you were stuck for ideas or have no time to write one up yourself. If Barrow Maze was twelve quid, I'd say buy that too. But it ain't. And there's a big difference in art quality between Barrow Maze and Stonehill, and I suspect, as I've said, that that's the reason why Barrow Maze costs that stupid amount. <laughs> so we've spoken about two mediocre mega dungeons and one overpriced lazy cash grab. But what about uh, what about good ones, lads? Uh, what about are we are we going to talk about the Alice in Wonderland one? Not technically a mega dungeon, though. It's a hex crawl. Ah. Yeah, I was, ah. I was looking forward to that because it's mo. It, yeah, it's it's a great one, and that is a hex crawl that could take months and months of play, right? But it's it's basically all wilderness stuff. Mm. Yeah, so it doesn't really work. Sorry, Sean. Cool. What mega dungeons you got for us? All right, here we go. I'll lay them on you. Uh, so it's my opinion that most of these things fail because the concepts are stretched too thin, right? I mean, we've seen that today. Yep. So either you get content that's absurdly samey or you get something where you have shitty reasons for a bunch of different monsters being about. But So here's my tip. Knowing this about Mega Dungeons, what can we do to fix it? Let's take the undermount, an undermounting template of stupid reason all these mod- monsters are here in the same cave and lean into it. Make it stupid. Go crazy. So the one I've got to recommend is Chalt by Vengeance Satanus. By Venger Satanus. This is a cracking science fantasy setting with a mega dungeon, and it's comprised of like 120 rooms where the laws of the universe, it's like Cthulhu mythos in a big black pyramid that appears in a wasteland one day, and none of the rooms make much sense because it's like inside the black pyramid reality breaks down time works so differently like each door is technically like a different dimension type kind of shit that's how he's designed it so each room basically can differ entirely in theme to every other room so like it's like this is like a backdrop of post-apocalyptic cthulhu mythos science fantasy wastelands and the main dun- dungeon this huge black pyramid you can en- encounter the insane clown posse in one room wait and that's written in that's in there. Wow, that is fucking... Then in uh, an adjacent room, you might fight fruit ninjas. Yeah, there's a cinema in one of them for some reason. But okay, I'm liking this a little bit because it's fucking absolutely gonzo. It's great, yeah. It's proper gonzo science fantasy. That And that's actually kind of what it calls itself. But the cool thing is, is that there's this overarching, like, a way to run Chalt, which is like... 
kind of that there are no coincidences because it's it's Cthulhu mythos and it's supposed to make you feel small and insignificant. If the players ever feel like they've encountered something coincidental, like uh, there's two rooms that have insane clown posses or whatever, you're supposed to play it up and be like, oh, that is weird. Or like, you know, there are no coincidences. You have to come up for a, with a reason why two things that are seemingly unrelated and now related. Like, it's kind of cool. It's a great book, and it's got, like, loads of these, like, little uh, helpful tools in there, like mutation tables and shit like this. So it's really great, and a lot of pop culture references in there. There's uh, Dharma Initiative are in one of the rooms. So, uh, you know, lost references in 2021. <laughs> um, right. But, yeah, it's a cracking one. It really leans into the bizarre nature of Mega Dungeons and to the silly aspects of role-playing, and it's a better product for it. Um, also, a quick nod to subsurface. Hang on a minute. Subsurface. An, an, anomalous subsurface environment. That's a good one. Okay. Uh, what? Wait, what? Uh, is, so, is there to elaborate? So, this is a mega dungeon in a science fantasy world. And basically, underground, there's, there's this big anomaly, scientific anomaly, where. It's a, a mega dungeon just suddenly appeared underground, and you you're sort of going in for scientific reasons, trying to figure out what's going on. But it's a game where the setting basically is where like the the world went through an apocalypse and then came back to fantasy stuff. So you've got lasers alongside people wearing loincloths and holding swords and stuff. Oh, that's good. That is good. Yeah, and the cover. I didn't actually get much of a chance to read the whole thing, but the cover features a man shooting a gorilla with a laser oh well sold 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 yeah I've learned actually a good way for checking if an adventure is good does it have a gorilla on the cover if the answer is yes good adventure tell me tell me one adventure with a gorilla on the cover that's bad that's a good point actually right Uh, Um, wait wait no Donkey Kong RPG Oh, don't, mate, don't, don't be slagging up don't, the donkey. Don't, don't tempt me, man. I wonder if there's a Danky Kang thing on this fucking meme soundboard. Oh, mate, that'll be the, that'll be the most used. Oh yeah. So Donkey Kong RPG. But yeah, that is it for Mega Dungeons. Let's have a little natter about a couple of Max. Pour me a cup of. Oh, fuck. I was just about to do a rhyme. Right. So let's have a little natter about Mega Dungeons. What do we think, Sean? You ever going to run one? Do you think they're great or are they just shit? They can be great in the right hands. They're not just shit, I don't think. Um, I think um, leaning into the toolbox thing was a good idea. But also there are a couple that are really good. And you can have a good mega dungeon. You just have to make the rooms interesting, I think. Uh, If you're going to make one yourself... Go for a Legend of Zelda type feel, I think. Yeah. Uh, with like nice puzzles in there. Um, and if you don't want to do that, uh, maybe go for like a Persona type feel. Uh, where you'll, you know, like a nice dungeon run. Uh, you get out of there, you do some life shit, you go back in, you know. Uh, well, I mean, that, that goes hand in hand with role-playing games. For those that don't know, you've got to sort of explain what you're saying sometimes, right? That's what I was explaining. Right, but Persona uh, is a game where it's basically separated between... It's that, a video game. That is a good example of... It is a, it is a great example, actually, because, yeah, you do your school life shit, and then you go into the dungeon, randomly generated dungeons. Uh, in Persona 3, for example, there's this huge black tower that's appeared 
in I think it's Tokyo but I don't remember and you do your school life and then in the evening you conquer this dungeon and there's a hundred levels but every five levels the theme changes and it's about something else and that's yeah it's a great example and also a great tip if you want to make a fucking good one make sure you have like distinct areas do you know what I mean yeah. Baramaze is just one big tomb yeah, that, that, that sounds... whereas in Persona 4 you have like one area that's uh, a gay sauna uh, yeah, and the monsters change. Like you say, the theme changes. Uh, things become different and difficult. Uh, there's the personal struggle. So, yeah, I'd, I'd either lean into the story very much or just nick some stuff and use some stuff, I'd say. Yeah, well, nick some stuff and use some stuff. Great advice. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Persona's like the model, isn't it? Because the, the story is all done during the downtime and the action is when you're in the dungeon. And it's not a bad thing to just have a hack and slash game as long as the characters can actually be characters outside yeah. of the mega dungeon. Do you know what I mean? But James, what do you think? I think there's either two points. One is you either find your audience, find your people. Do you want to tackle it? Right, you're going to tackle it. So you're going to do it as written and you're going to go through it. You're going to have some downtime because otherwise you're not going to be able to you know, replenish your gear and that. Mm. But perhaps you will skip over the route that you took you know, to go back into town and then go back in just for game playability. But eventually, the ultimate goal, if you find your audience for it, is to complete it, even though it's in- incompletable. Otherwise, all you have to do is um, you have to take liberties with it. It's like yeah. it's written like this. It's boring. It's the same room. Right. But you're running it. So change it. Make it change. Make it evolve. Make it evolve with the characters and with the story. Yeah. If it just so happens that... Um, they feel like it's naturally coming to an end. Maybe it's coming to uh, a boss area or something like yeah, that. Like it, yeah, like I know what you mean. Like if you if you get to the point, say running Baron Maze, where the players are getting bored and they feel like they're right near it. Yeah. Maybe just go the next next session. They're finding the boss. Because room. as it's a maze, that means there's more than one way of getting there. So they could just have found the shortest route. That annoyed me as well because the the actual tablet of chaos in Baron Maze. It doesn't. It's not labelled on the map where it is, right? Yeah. And in these games, it's all about methodical exploration of a dungeon, right? So you're the players are mapping it out. The players are writing things down on their map, and then you're going through the. Du- but it's like one thing I wanted to know was where the tablet of chaos actually is. Unless you read every room description, you won't know. So that's annoying. Could you put it into like um, get the PDF and just do a Control F and find it. Yeah, I could have done that. I could have done that. That's a good point. Uh, I was uh, wondering, have either of you watched the anime Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? I've seen it advertised. I watched it, an episode with you, I believe. Uh, no, you haven't. Okay. What was that one we, What was that one of several animes that we watched that was about a person going down a dungeon? Going down a dungeon. Because we watched I that time I reincarnated as a slime. Then no, there's that one about that girl that played an online game and went into dungeons and she was like a hentai. Oh, that was really good because she was like actually like just a normal character. I can't even remember that one, but that was good. <laughs> um, no, so, yeah, because that's like they they uh, in this uh, anime. I might have to actually watch it. Uh, it is actually a mega dungeon. Right. But then, okay, so maybe maybe had you watched it, you could have come up with some advice there. But what you're saying is, the advice is, if that's a good anime, copy it. If not, don't. I, I was actually, yeah. I was, I was still banking on the fact that either of you have watched it. But given the title, Harrison watches the this least is anime a, out in this room. Yeah, you two love anime, James. You like 
porn movies as well. <laughs> Sean, you're <laughs> Sean, Sean, you're very much into your um, really extreme like hentai and conspiracy theories. What, yeah. um, what? conspiracy hentai? But anyway, so t- t- the tip is watch that anime, and then if it has shut up, <laughs> if it has good ideas in it, well, then take the ideas. But well, if it doesn't, don't. But I'm not into. The, I'm not into. Well, hentai. Don't explain I, I, yourself. I like. I like. I like. Uh, <laughs> okay, He's right. definitely watches that stuff. Savage. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Mega Dungeons, I guess, yeah, take a, Sean's advice is great, take a leaf from the Persona games and have the dungeons change and be interesting, and James, make it make it your own was your sort of advice yeah. as well. If you're running Barrow Maze, put Special Infected in there, put special types of zombies, do that. My advice would be not to run one. <laughs> That's a lot simpler, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I think I've found any any really good ones because the concept is always stretched so well, thin. To be honest, like you know, the whole point, of, like even Sean's suggestion and my suggestion, is you're not running those, are you? You're not. You're you're taking the idea and you're running your own fucking mega dungeon, aren't? You? Yeah. So yeah. Or like you're trying to use that system, but then you're just you. If you're just constantly changing it, then you're no longer actually running what it originally was. So then why buy it in the first place? Yeah, so it does go to your um, suggestion of just don't do it. Because I also think, like, the layouts are so fucking shit as well. It's like, so often, it's like, I couldn't tell the difference in terms of the layout. You know, like, if you're in a dungeon, like, if you read any fucking DCC dungeon, right, there's all this context behind it, right? Like the um, uh, the Croaking Fane, where you go into the Frog Dungeon, right? There's all this context. You see paintings on the walls that give it his tree, or Sailors on the Starless Sea, where there's this underground cult, or whatever, right? There's always this context. Whereas, like, I often find that the so the dungeons, if they if they're going to be good, especially a mega one, have to have context. And often, if the rooms are placed in a certain way. You've got to think about why they place in that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's got to be an actual believability dungeons to it. Dungeons being nonsensical, because otherwise you're just going to be like, yeah, well. But seriously, go to, go to the random dungeon generator online called Donjon, right? Go to that, generate a random one, and ch- uh, and I'll get one from another game, and let's see which one you think is the real one. Because Mega Dungeon layouts are shit. They're really shit, and they're no different from those randomly generated ones, and they're free. So just fucking get one of those. And yeah, Donjon is really is is a good tool if you want to. So if if you're not if you haven't got like a sort of idea of a layout or something, just whack a few things into there and just just have a look. Just yeah. have a look and just get some idea. Yeah, it's a good tool. Good but tool. I'm mostly anyway. We've asked the guys what uh, the the listeners what they think about Mega Dungeons, and uh, in the Electro Letter segment. So should we go there now? I think we should. In the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. So Lewis Pineda, he says, Mega Dungeons seems completely illogical to me. I still think that a dungeon had to have served a purpose before being abandoned for one reason or another. The mad wizard that just keeps one for fun doesn't seem to make sense. I think if it was bought to my players, they would just contract masons to seal the entrances. Yeah, so crack. That's See, a good idea because then it will stop people ever going in there and dying. And also, again. it's it's also the smartest way to solve the Barrow Maze in a one shot. Yeah, because it's also yeah because those monsters can't get out. Hang on, there'll be an apocalypse if somebody finds that fucking thing. Well, let's seal the entrances up with concrete. Lewis, Perfect. You're Done. A genius. 
Yes, thank you, Lewis. And you're absolutely right. We this is what we just said. It's like fucking. It fucking it annoys me that how how little of them actually makes sense. You know. Well, uh, I think when uh, you did it, it was quite good. I mean, it wasn't a mega dungeon. We only but, played parts of it though. Uh, no, no. I mean, Baramaze, Yeah. I mean, that was a bit shit. But um, like we had fun playing Baramaze, But um, it was very different. But. Um, what I meant was um, a guy that keeps dungeons for fun. So you had. Oh, a, I did do that, yeah. So you had a bloke that. Tied all the things people tell you not to do. Um, <laughs> he had like, a, a dungeon experience we went through, uh, and it turned out to be um, a, a lot of trickery, basically. Yeah, so essentially, this guy, like, if you wanted the experience of a dungeon without actually doing it. He, it's like, you know, those haunted houses you can go and visit at theme parks. Yep. He just basically made those so you could feel like you're having a real adventure and paid actors to sort of jump out at you and go, Bleh! and uh, yeah, they killed one of them. So, well, that went well. So, yeah, I mean, but if, yeah, because if it is an inherently silly idea, lean into it. Do you know what I mean? That's what Chult did and that's why it's fucking good. But you need to have a bit of, I don't know, a bit of... Uh bit of like you know stake you know yeah well and and that's often the problem isn't it because undermounting you don't know who that fucking guy is you don't care about him and then suddenly you meet him in the final counter and he's like and he's just like hello i've been expecting you right exactly (laughs) uh michael markey says a mega dungeon can be great if you keep it a living breathing location there needs to be factions plots and events that compete for the player's attention I'm about a year and a half into a weekly Stonehell campaign. Wow. And it's been great in this regard. At their worst, Mega Dungeons can earn the epithet Monster Closets. Bryce Lynch at Ten Foot Pole, which is a blog, written loads about the good and bad of Mega Dungeons. So go and check that out, tenfootpole.org. And yeah, I I agree. Monster Closets are boring because it's just rolling shiv, another fight. You go into the next room, rolling shiv, another fight. Yeah, but this bloke has basically done what we've sort the advice we've given out is to if you're going to do a mega dungeon, one of the ways you should do it is make a world that is the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's why they often feature factions and things. And Stonehell is great for that because they've thought about the reason and they've gone. There are gangs formed. There's yeah. gangs of gnolls and orcs and They're things really like that. They've really kind of put it on there, so... Yeah, so I can see why he's been playing it for a year and a half. Well done, man. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Robert Woford, he says he's never judged a mega dungeon. Um, we've just judged, what, how many? Four? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that will only be funny to people that know DCC because the uh, DM's called their judge in that game but I tried to play Under Mountain when it first came out the GM was a real big on one of us mapping so he could laugh at us because there were teleport traps all over the place and you couldn't tell that you'd been shifted yeah but that's just fucking out of that's order that's cunty that is, that is proper prick imagine going that. through a doorway right you've drawn the next yeah. room that he's described and then you find out it's actually nowhere near the room that you're, you're trying to just... trace your steps back wait a second surely it would still make sense if you trace your steps back Unless the unless the teleporter transported you somewhere random every time. Well, unless they're random portals. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Don't do that. Yeah. Just don't put teleporters don't do in that. a dungeon. <laughs> just don't do it. If it involves mapping, don't fucking do it. That's a shit idea. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he finishes with not sure I would ever try either side of that ever. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> James Tomasson comes in with an email. He is the Cut. one. <laughs> Here's the one member of our group that hasn't been a guest on this podcast. And we did invite him on for Morg Borg, but he said he didn't have anything to offer. 
but he's Bless him. yeah well we need to get him on here but i don't know what he yeah, could because he's I a don't big think he listens to this at all ever well i'm surprised he's commented then but um the thing about it is is that he's ladies and gentlemen is he's the D guy of the group if he could play D every day and suck Matt Mercer's fat anus, he would definitely do it. <laughs> but um but we like him and he's he he's very short. So, so he's not what's very to do with very short isn't <laughs> Well it doesn't have much to he's do with not anything. Very short, he's like five foot seven. That's just No like, he fucking isn't. That's a bit short. The reason I say that is because when you introduce somebody, you're supposed to tell the, an interesting fact about them. And he's three foot one. He's that is a he's small. Three foot one. Um, <laughs> no, he's about five foot seven. He's about three foot two. Let's meet in the middle. He's, he's you know, he's he's all right. Fair enough. But, but maybe he, we could get him on an episode about hobbits. He's at work, Dave. He's slightly. <laughs> he's, Hello, I'm James Sebastian. He's at, I don't know. Why I'm defending him so much, but he's slightly shorter than everyone else. Yeah, that's that's literally it. It was and really Harrison poked at him by like just you know just as a nice little quip. But he's a, he's he a, got really hurt. No, because James Tomasin was getting drunk, drunker by the second, and I and Ryan was like, "How come you're so pissed already?" And I'm like, "He's three foot one, mate." <laughs> and I thought it was going to be a funny joke, but J- J- Tomasin just turned around and went, "Hey, I'm not three foot one." Like he was actually hurt. <laughs> yeah. And we met. I'm sure I met up with him later that week in the pub. And while we were sitting there, I was like, "Look, loads of short people are cool, mate." Like making more of a joke out of it. And I, and I compared him to Vern Troyer, who played Minimi in Doctor oh, Powers. Because no. Doctor Powers, Austin Powers. Because you see, uh, uh, Edward Elric is four foot eleven. So, um, oh, sorry, nobody knows who that is. Nobody cares the about Full Metal Alchemist. The Full Metal Alchemist from Full Metal right. Alchemist. All right, all right, we need a jingle. Sh- embarrassing Sean fact time. Again, is that right? Um, no, it's not all right. So one time we were at a game. Wait, why are we talking about this? Can we just talk about Full Metal Alchemist? Well, this is related to that. Okay, fair this is related to that. So one time, so Sean, when he watches anime, he believes everything that's in it, right? Can we say Wait, that? No, so one no, time, really. one time we were talking about a film that included time travel, and Sean just randomly burst out when I got time travel wrong. <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean? Do you mean?" Do you mean, like, based on the knowledge you learned from the anime Steins Gate? Uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah, actually. Well, actually... You part, thought... In part from Steins Gate, because... Uh, okay. Because they mentioned string theory to make it seem more plausible. But actually, uh, sorry, Sean, but you can't time travel by putting a m- banana in a microwave. Joel Barna. Anyway, uh, right, so um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. But, yeah, Steins Gate is good because um you know um there is some <laughs> this truth. is so weird is some, what we got into there, now there is some truth behind the time travel no there isn't gate. james uh, is nodding at sean like yep carry on carry on digging uh, that hole yeah uh there is some truth uh yeah and you know they uh, why are you still it, going on and it was quite nice because everyone, <laughs> everyone was like oh this is complicated there's too much science and i was just like laying back like yeah i, I know i know this science no there's you barely know? any science in it sean um, what about the part where like she holds an entire seminar basically just talking about science the whole time <laughs> yeah but <laughs> it's basically talking about theoretical time travel from the point of pop science um, and you believed it 100% why why I mean, if you they, believed that they'd un- that this anime had unlocked the secret to time travel uh, why didn't you try it uh, well I mean and go back and save the time you spent watch- watching anime uh well, no, no regrets, and also, <laughs> like, I don't know because I don't want to risk using a microwave 
and um, right, this is going stupid now. Right, Giuseppe Raton. Uh, we didn't even we didn't I'd even have fucking to attach a PS2 to a microwave. Shut up. So uh, we didn't even ask, ask James's question. This is going on so long. The understanding between the DM and players that it is a death trap. That's what makes it good. Multiple adventuring parties after the old one dies or a player survives fleeing, providing a little bit of mapping. So this is one cool thing like, yeah, it's a death trap and that's the whole overarching thing of it. But also like when your characters die, yeah, you will start several levels back or whatever, but you keep the map that you've done up to that point. And the way I've seen it done is like when everyone goes back to the inn, all of the adventurers carve what they saw that day into the table in the oh, middle of so the inn. So they all work together. Yeah, so it's a like collaborative a collaborative way. Exactly, exactly. But then you might get some snakes in there, so it's sort of the politics of it. I think it's a good idea. But does that mean he is Tomasin um, suggesting that a lot of separate D and D groups play part of the dungeon and then share their finds? Because that, I mean, I've, I, I if we did that for like two sessions, that would be quite interesting. Well, it, well, there's a famous like players, isn't he? Like the ones that die. Yeah, it's the next character. Yeah, but, but but I have I had there was there is a story about that because in in uh, uh, Knights of the Dinner Table comics there was this guy that ran two parties in the same world and what they what one party did also affected the other. It was two separate players, right? And so one party knew that the other party was going around uh, trying to figure out where what they'd done in the dungeon, see if they've hidden anything, see if they can get to the treasure before the other party. So the rival party started a rumour that uh, there was this thing called the Head of Vecna down in a dungeon, right? And it was basically because there's an item called the Hand of Vecna and you have to chop off your own hand, put it on there, get the powers of the magical item, right? So one of the parties started a rumour that the Head of Vecna was a thing and even put like a fake head down in the dungeon. And so the party believed the rumour, went down there, one of them chopped their own head off and tried to quickly put the new head on and uh, obviously died. Then all the other players thought that he'd just done it wrong and so were trying it again. And in a heartbeat, one party wiped out the other. But wow. I would love to do that. I would love to do that if I had enough friends. So, uh, yeah, but I know that would be great. Like, imagine having a mega dungeon and maybe two parties are coming in from different entrances. Yeah. That would be fucking awesome. Oh, I've just I've just made it bearable. You have, you have. I win. Uh, Giuseppe <laughs> Rotondo. He says I'm currently tentatively designing one for old school essentials. Hope it won't suck. Uh, news for you, Giuseppe. Great guy, but uh, it probably will. Yes, yeah, so stop. <laughs> just stop it. Stop. They're not very good. Uh, right. So uh, let's. Uh, we've got time for one more here. Brent Alt. He says it's called anomalous subsurface environment and shut your fucking mouth. So we got to give that one a try. That's his example of a good one. You're really mean. We did actually get a, a, a communique in from Connor Warden, a fantastic GM, and he's written a, basically a thesis for us on Mega Dungeons. And he happens to be one of the only people that I've ever played in a game who did a Mega Dungeon, and it was amazing. In a one-shot. In a one-shot. He did, yeah, he did a Mega Dungeon in three hours just by keeping it really quick. Like, okay, you go into the next room, what do you do next? And blah, blah, blah. It was fucking great. Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the uh, sort of better G, uh, GMs at Dungeons. Mm. Sorry. That's sorry. damning with faint sorry. praise there. Well, I don't, I don't know if he listens to this. So you can say you can say what you were gonna. I'm not fucking saying anything, but you can say it. No, I think no, I think he's no, I think he's really good at making dungeons. <laughs> I do like 
All right, but tell me, what's the what's what's beneath the surface? What's underneath, Sean? What's, what's un- underneath? What's underneath? A funny little goblin guy. More dungeons. I no. Know. What are you talking about? Well, because you're obviously you're saying no. He's good at dungeons. Sean. Yeah. Have sure. you ever watched a hentai? Um, no. That's a lie, because I know one that you've specifically watched. Oh, I watched a hentai. Do you once. play erotic visual novels? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Right. But so that's worse almost, isn't it? Because like hentai is a pretty accepted art form nowadays. Erotic visual erotic visual novels. Yeah, but like some of the best like, EVNs, bro. So <laughs> just EVNs. Um no, some of the best um visual novels have erotic things going on but then that's japan for you and it i suppose I you're not japan i think i think right now the, now the reason am, the reason I, sean i am japan shut it's up. in my heart shut, shut up sorry right so the reason sean is on today is because in the near future depending on you know what happens with nick and uh you know his move away because we do record in person uh sean might, might be coming on as a permanent guest and i feel i feel as if you've really sort of dug a hole for yourself so screwed people now know that you believe in flat earth watch hentai and think earth. you know how time Actually, travel that's works worse than the hentai i don't right, let's just put like i don't do I you was, want me to just cut all the bits including you out of the podcast to be safe um well i sort of like screwed the interview a bit like Really, Eminem. What this, interview? This isn't an interview. This is sort of like an interview, isn't it? Like, I, I like. Oh, like this is your this is your test day to this see is if your you trial by fire. Well, I think yeah, we'll have you back on fire. next episode, but you're not allowed to speak. Okay, yeah, there you go. You just but so, give us like, tea. If I don't speak quietly, you know what I'm thinking. Yeah, you're thinking, man. There's a lot of good hentai on this flat earth. Now, now somebody get me a time machine. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I could see it whirring in your head. What, what were you singing? No doubt. No, don't speak, can it? Oh, right, yeah. Good band. Sh- shut up. What so, that's shut up. That's all getting cut out. <laughs> so, fucking... The world. My final message. Goodbye. So that was a podcast, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We can definitely say that. It was definitely a podcast, and it has lowered my reputation and myself. <laughs> He's still going. But this is, this, this, right, this is why we got you on, because this is like self-help for you. You have to realise that the weird things that you believe, they, they're not right. But I don't... And you're not right. I don't believe, I don't believe in weird stuff. Sean, you believe you that really the whole world is a globe lot. on a bloke's desk. Not uh, even a globe, a, a snow globe. But the Earth is flat. That's what you believe. Fact. Um, you believe in Men in Black being real. Um, I mean they are real. Like, they're called the. <laughs> actually, CIA. that is that is one uh, conspiracy theory I actually believe in. The Men in Black. Right, thank you. We've been the three T R B G for. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>